Amen. Well, the American comedian um, Emo Phillips told a joke um, which was voted, apparently, I'm not sure by who, the funniest religious joke of all time. And so I, I apologise in advance, it's a terrible joke, but I'll read it anyway. Uh, he says that once he saw this guy uh, on a bridge about to jump, and he said, don't do it. And the guy said, well, nobody loves me. And I said, well, God loves you. Don't you believe in God? And he said, yes. So I said, well, are you a Christian or a Jew? And he said, I'm a Christian. I said, me too, Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Southern Baptist. I said, me too. Southern Conservative Baptist or Southern Liberal Baptist? He said, Southern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Original Southern Conservative Baptist or Reformed Southern Conservative Baptist? He said, Reformed Southern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. He said, uh, I said, uh, Reformed Southern Conservative Baptist Council of 1879 or Reformed Southern Baptist Conservative Baptist Council of 1912? He said, Reformed Southern Conservative Baptist Council of 1912. And I said, heretic! And pushed him off. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? Well, it is terrible. It's a terrible joke, but it's also terrible because isn't it awful how many different types of Christian churches there are? I think it's ridiculous. I don't know why there are so many. You know, why, why have we got to have so many different types of churches? I don't know why we don't just have one. It'd be much better. And we prayed, actually, in that collect a minute ago for the Christ the King to preserve the church something in, in unity, you know, that we might be united. Well, we don't sometimes, I think answer our own prayer do we we're so uh, divided against each other so many different christian congregations so many different uh, religions to choose from i don't know how many there are on the census i'm kind of looking forward the census is coming out i think the data is going to be published um, later this year they did the census last year didn't they i don't know what you ticked and only the last few censuses they've uh, included an optional question about your religion and uh, I think the number of boxes, there's quite a few, and uh, I don't know what you tick. Maybe you tick Christian, maybe you tick Anglican. I don't think they offer you quite as specific a range of choices, Reformed, Southern Conservative, Liberal Baptist uh, originals. Um, but um, maybe you tick Christian, maybe you didn't, maybe you tick, I don't know, maybe you've got no religion. Um, but whatever you ticked on the census, and wherever you find yourself this morning... Maybe you're just weighing things up for yourself. Everybody's welcome here this morning. I'm glad you're here. God does love you. And uh, today in, uh, in the church's calendar, as I mentioned, it is the Feast of Christ the King. But what I want to suggest, just as we've read this passage from Luke chapter 23, is that although there may be loads and loads and loads of different religious boxes that we kind of put ourselves into, um, actually, from the perspective of Christ the King, I want to suggest there's really only two categories of people. There's really only two. In our reading, we met these two men. Look down at verse 32. Two men, both criminals, led out with Jesus to be executed. One on his left, one on his right. And these two men, if you like, they, well, they responded to Jesus in different ways, polar opposite. And their representative, these two men, of the two different ways in which it's possible for us to respond today to Jesus Christ the King. So 
So by way of recap, um, I mentioned this is our last week. We've been working our way looking through Luke's gospel. Uh, We have been sort of basically, I think the point of it has been to try to get the real Jesus, not the Jesus of our imagination or of fiction, but the Jesus of history. We've been looking at the things that he said and hearing the things that 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 he did. And one of the themes that's come up again and again in Luke has been that everything's building towards Jerusalem. Um, we've, we've kept on noticing that, that, that Luke deliberately is, is building everything towards a climax. It's all working towards what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And what, now we've arrived, which is why this is the, the last week we're looking at it. We've, we've got to Jerusalem. Jesus has, we've had the triumphal entry, as it's known, um, in chapter 19, where the crowds uh, lined the street to welcome the new king, as they will do next May. I don't know whether any of us will trek up to London to uh, line the streets and cheer on the king as he arrives into the capital city. Except Jesus didn't arrive in his capital city uh, with all the pomp and splendour of uh, the gold state coach that was built, I think, for George IV, covered in gold and weighing four tons and 20-odd foot long, drawn by eight magnificent horses, which is what Charles III will enter in on. Didn't even ride in on a war horse, which would have been presumably what most ordinary self-respecting monarchs would have chosen to do. Jesus rode in on a donkey, not because he couldn't afford a horse, but deliberately to show that he wasn't any ordinary kind of king. His initial wave of popularity, as people waved their palm branches, didn't last very long. It was only a week previous to what we're reading about this morning that people lined the streets and sung, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But now in Luke 23, we've got the coronation ceremony, if you like, except his crown wasn't made of gold and lined with velvet. It was altogether more uncomfortable for him to wear. And he's being elevated, not up onto a throne, but a cross. Why? Well, I think because as far as people could see, Jesus really was a pretty rubbish king. That's what they thought. Have a look down at verse 35. What must they have been thinking, verse 35? The people stood watching. The rulers sneered at him. He saved others. If he is God's Messiah, his saviour, God's chosen anointed king, let him save himself. What kind of king is he? Verse 36, the soldiers also came up. They mocked him. If you're the king... Save yourself. And so they put this notice, verse 38, above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. It doesn't say that it was in inverted commas, but you can hear that it's almost, you get the picture. I mean, the the point is deliberately mockery, isn't it? The implication is clear that Jesus, if he is a king, well, he's a, a pretty pathetic king. He can't even save himself. He's got no army, no money, no palace, no power, no influence, no relevance. And so one of the two responses really is to regard Jesus with a kind of contempt, maybe pity, maybe even ridicule. It's the view of many people today, and it's the view of the first of the two men, the first of the two criminals in verse 39. So it says, one of the criminals who hung there also hurled insults at him it, this guy's in the middle of being crucified 
which generally they reckon was about the most painful, literally excruciating way to go that's ever been devised by cruel human beings until it got banned, where every breath was agony, and yet he still decided he wanted to summon what remained of his energy to hurl insults at Jesus. I guess most people who aren't Christians probably don't quite go that far. Some do. Generally, if you listen to what they say about Jesus in the media or on the television, if Jesus is getting a mention on TV, it's normally he's being ridiculed, isn't it? By Stephen Fry or Ricky Gervais or someone like that. A lot of people do ridicule Jesus. But I guess probably most people who reject Christ the King, I guess they probably do what the majority of people who would have seen Jesus as they walked past on that road outside Jerusalem would have done. They would have seen the sign above his head which says King and thought, well, some King, not for me, and carried on with their lives. I'm going to tick some other box on the census, some other religion, or no religion, or don't know. Or maybe they end up in that weird gap where they tick Christian, but doesn't really affect their life. That's one group of people, the people who reject Christ the King. But, verse 40, the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Extraordinary question. I don't think many people like the idea that God probably ought to be feared. But the Bible says that God is to be feared because he is awesome in the most authentic sense of the word. He fills us with awe. That's why C.S. Lewis chose to depict Aslan as a, a lion. And the children say, is he safe? And they say, no, of course he's not safe. But he is good. He's awesome. He's to be feared, God. Don't you fear God, he says, since you're under the same sentence. Verse 41, he says, we're punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man's done nothing wrong. Now, I don't know about you, I think that's extraordinary. I've never spotted this before, until I looked at this this week. That he recognised that Jesus' death was an injustice. Don't you think that a group of criminals all being condemned together normally wouldn't have had any sympathy at all with protestations of innocence from a convicted criminal? Oh yeah, sure you're innocent. We're all innocent. Now, Jesus didn't even try to defend himself against the false charges that he was accused of. Actually, Luke earlier on in this chapter has made it quite clear that, you know, when Pilate tried to pin something on him, he didn't say, didn't try to defend himself at all. So it's not as though he was being led to the cross going, don't crucify me, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, this is all unjust. He wasn't doing that. But even if he was, you wouldn't have expected the criminals being crucified with him have any idea for a moment that he might actually be innocent but this guy recognized that Jesus had done nothing wrong he recognizes sublime moral character where in verse 34 he even pled for mercy for the people who were murdering him unjustly even in death he says father forgive them they don't know what they're doing That is, in fact, why Jesus was dying. They're saying, why don't you save yourself? Why don't you save yourself? They don't understand that actually the reason why Jesus was dying was for forgiveness, for mercy to be extended to sinful people like you and like me. His death was deliberate. He wasn't trying to save himself. He was sacrificing himself so that everyone else might be saved. 
And this guy on the cross next to him got something of that, which is why he said, verse 42, I love these verses. Some of them, these are some of my favorite verses, I think, in the whole Bible. Look at verse 42, where he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When you come into your kingdom. I mean, when do you reckon that he thought that would be? You know, if he was going to be any normal kind of earthly king, you know, if he thought that Jesus was kind of leaving it to the 11th hour before performing some dramatic escape, you know, that his followers were going to all rally together and spring him free and get him down from the cross and they were going to enact the revolution and overthrow the Romans. I mean, he was cutting it pretty fine, wasn't he? The nails are already through his wrists. And he still says, when you come into your kingdom, I mean, he must have known that Jesus' kingdom was still to come. Jesus' kingdom is in the future. It wouldn't be destroyed by his death. It would be inaugurated by his death. This criminal understood what Jesus had already explained to Pilate earlier on in the day, that his kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is not an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one. And how amazing it must have been for him to hear these words in verse 43. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Aren't they some of the most wonderful words in the New Testament? I think this character, the thief on the cross, I think he's my favourite character in the whole Bible, after Jesus, obviously. We don't even know what his name was. Church history and tradition have given him the name Dismas, which I think is a hilarious name. Saint Dismas, he is patron saint of reformed penitent thieves. Well, Dismas, if that was his name, it's fair to say he hasn't had a very good life, has he? I mean, he's a criminal, and clearly not a very good criminal if he's been caught, and he's woken up on Good Friday morning... Doesn't look very bright, does it? He's about to face the death penalty. He's about to go in one of the most torturous and barbaric ways ever to be devised. But by a cosmic stroke of good fortune, he just happened to be being done in the same batch as the Lord of Glory. I mean, what are the chances of being on the next cross to Jesus? He could have been done the day before, and then we would have heard anything about him. Or the day after. Well, it wouldn't have been the day after because that was Passover. But he just happened, this guy. I mean, talk about your ships all coming in. He just happened to be being crucified next to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he saw Jesus there. He saw the way he lived. He saw the way he died. He saw him with his crown of thorns. And he wasn't able even to bow his knee. He wasn't able to do anything, was he? I mean, he never did anything. He never got baptised. He never went to church, he never did an alpha course, he never joined a rota. I mean, he didn't have the opportunity to do any religious good deeds in order to try to earn his way into heaven at all. There wasn't any opportunity. His salvation was not by his own effort, was it? Could have been less by his own effort if he tried. His salvation was purely by grace alone, through faith alone. All he did was acknowledge Christ the King. There are infinite boxes that you probably could tick on the census. I'm sure you can probably type in your own answer and tick that. 
But there are really only two responses. The responses of the two guys on the crosses either side of the King of Kings as he was crowned. Either Christ is our King or he's not. There's one guy on the right of Jesus and one guy on his left. Which one are we standing with? Because the scripture says that when Christ returns in glory to sit upon his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep those who have been rescued by and who now follow the good shepherd, those who bow the knee and confess Christ the King on his right, and the goats, those who have walked past, possibly even scoffed on his left. There really are only two ways to live. There's a little slide here, Paul, if you could um, stick this up. I don't know whether you've seen this. Um, if you click on uh, a couple of slides, Paul. There's this, this thing called two ways to live. I don't know if you've seen this. This, I guess you'd call it a, um, a kind of an evangelistic gospel presentation or something. I've seen a few people do this. The idea is if somebody asks you, what does Christianity actually say? Well, the, the idea is you get a piece of A4 and you divide it into six boxes and you draw this li- these little drawings, which I can never remember what the, how the drawings go because they all look the same to me. But, but the point of it is it's basically talking your way through what is the Christian faith. And the top left one says, well, God's made the world. And that God is the king of the world. And that when, in the beginning, everything was good because everybody was living under the lordship of the king of kings. And that God is worthy to receive honour and glory because he's created all things. And in him we live and move and have our being. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But, top middle box, what happened at the fall was uh, humanity said, no, God, I don't want you to be my king. I'm going to be king instead. Can I have your crown, please? And because of that top right box, it means that we're under judgment. The wages of sin is death, and it's given to man to die once, and after that to face judgment. But the gospel is that bottom left, Jesus Christ was born to live the life that we could never live and die the death which we deserved, to take upon himself the punishment for sinful humanity, and he, middle bottom box, was then raised from the dead and established as the king of glory. So now that's why there's a little J in that crap. Those are just crowns. They're supposed to be crowns. They don't really look like crowns, do you, if you hadn't tweaked that. And so now, because Jesus Christ is the risen and ascended King of Kings, who has borne the punishment for humanity, well, now we're in the position of the bottom right box. So there's two, two ways to live. Either we can live as the guy on the right, with Jesus as our King, or we can live as the guy on the left and say, no, Jesus, I don't want you to be my King. I would like to be the King of my own life. And that's, that, that's kind of, those are really sort of the only two options. I mean, uh, there isn't kind of a, a middle position. C.S. Lewis famously said, you know, Christianity, if it's false, is of no importance. If it's of true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it can't be is of moderate importance. And you could kind of modify that to say, couldn't you, that if Jesus Christ really is the, the King of Kings, if he's not the King of Kings, then we owe him no allegiance. If he is the King of Kings, then we ought to bow before him, climb down off his throne, take his crown off our heads, get on our knees, and declare him to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and sing as we're going to do at the end of our service. Crown him with many crowns. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for thou hast died for me. Hail him as thy matchless king throughout eternity. That is the choice that we face. Will we stand with the guy on the left cross or the guy on the right? 
Thanks, Paul, you can click off that. Well, I don't know where that leaves us this morning. Is Christ your king? I think that's, that's really what this passage is calling us to make a response to. Do we stand with the guy on the left or the guy on the right? This was a helpful picture. My friend became a Christian last year or the year before. And it was a helpful thing to, for him to see, actually, the way that he'd been living. He'd kind of had Jesus' crown on himself. And he, needed to, and he kept trying to put it back on, even after he'd become a Christian. Give me that crown. And he had to actually keep coming back to Christ the King and saying, no, here you go. Here's your crown back. You can be my king. And maybe some of us might need to do that this morning. I don't know.